How many days have you been in isolation now, Ollie? Oh, I don't even know. It's been, well, so our kids were supposed to have Friday off, last Friday off school. Like that was the first day of their spring break. It was a pro D day before spring break started. And they didn't go, we didn't send them to school Thursday. And so basically since then, it's been a long time. Yeah. So it's been a week. And it's not like, you know, you're not leaving the home. Like you get groceries, you know, I've seen you take Louis for runs and take the kids out for walks and be active and stuff. But like, it's still just so different than what we're so we're, we're used to doing in life. Oh, it's, you're right. I mean, we get out, you know what? It's funny. I was just talking with a friend before we started here and it's actually crazy how many more people like in my neighborhood, you see way more people, but in a good way, like now some parts of the city you go in and it's like, nothing's changed. People are out running around, going out to eat, going out to party. I'm like, what are you thinking? But in my neighborhood, it's like, you see way more families out for walks. Like in the evening when we're out with the dog after dinner, like we hardly ever see anybody or maybe you see one person going to catch a bus or something. You'll see like, you know, families of three or four people out and about Uh, this afternoon when we were out, there was, there was a bunch of like almost prison yard workouts. It was, (laughs) we were like walking and there's like these two guys in their backyard and they had like medicine balls and they're doing like one legged squats on like their, you know, like retaining walls and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like get after it. Then we walked by this one alley and this guy had his garage door open and they had like a sled out there. Like, I don't mean like, you know, you're going tobogganing down Grouse Mountain or anything. Like, I mean, like a sled you pull for weight training or you push it. Right. So they're out working in their alleys. And it's, it's interesting how this idea of fitness and not being able to go to a gym or going to like a fitness studio and all that type of stuff. It's, it's completely changed now and people are out being active. And and I've said it all along this past week, the weather's been beautiful, which has made it a lot more tolerable, but I look forward to the weather next week and it's going to turn and be cloudy and rainy. It's going to make it even that much more difficult. Yeah. And we're only one week in. not to say, you know, this might last much longer. Hopefully it doesn't. I mean, none of us are really experts. We just, know that we need to flatten the curve one way or another. Hey, hey, this That's is, what we know. This is like, this is nowhere close to being done. No. Like I, I know I'm I'm no expert, but like yeah. this is just the beginning. Yeah. And it's I know it's it maybe people don't want to hear it. I got into it with a lot of people on Twitter this week that yeah. are just like this isn't even happening. Like they don't even believe it. It's crazy. Um but hey I Everyone has their own feelings. It's just unfortunate that some people have to pay for for some people's uh, running about, if you will. But what, what about you? Like, what are you been? In? I know you're you're now doing your show from home. Yeah. What about like you're sleeping till noon? What no, are you doing? I, yeah, I mean, I I've been sleeping till about <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I get up around 10, 30, 11 a.m. every day. That's kind of the time I get up. And honestly, <laughs> you didn't have to. You didn't have to say a.m. But that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I, I nap after the show as well when I'm done at seven. No, but but anyways, no. Like I, I've been getting up around that time. I get a workout in at home. I do my thing, and you know, and I'll go outside a little bit and do something too. And there's a park not too far from where where i'm at they they have like pull-up bars and oh yeah something you can do outdoors like by douglas park so i'll go and uh, do some stuff there um but when it's like i've gone there a couple times to do something and i see there's a few people there already i'm like i don't think i can social distance like get my workout in here (laughs) so um i've had to come up with some other ideas so that's been my day and honestly i'm sick and tired already of watching 
shows and movies. Yeah, like, I, I can't do that anymore. Like I, I'm reading, I'm trying to read whatever I can. I'm trying to do different things, but I try to try to educate myself with something. Because if I'm going to sit here and watch TV and watch movies and shows for the next few months, I don't know, man. That's not my life. I can't do it. No, I, I agree. And, and well, so, you know, I have... I'm coming at this from a couple different ways, right? Like I, we have sort of our, our family dynamic and you know, how you want to after it was just the weekend, like, so Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And by the middle of the day, Sunday, my wife and I looked at each other like, okay, like who knows how long this is going on. It's for sure the two weeks because it's, it's spring break. And at that point they hadn't announced that the BC closed or schools were going to be closed yet. So we're like, we can't do this for, for all this time, we have to figure something out. And I saw on, I guess it was on social media that a couple of friends of ours and just different people you follow, they'd set up almost like hourly schedules for their kids during the day. So we did it. We did that. We, uh, I gave my kids a crash course in Excel, how to build a spreadsheet. So they're, <laughs> they're learning that a little bit and they, and they built this, you know, they've got sort of like all their things they can do in creative time, free time, um, active time, all those sorts of things. There's then a, a little list down at the bottom for each category. And it's sort of broken out hour by hour um, throughout the day. And and all of a sudden now they're helping cook way more. They're helping clean up more. And they're there. It's funny. They're being more active and actually playing better together because they're less on devices. Right. But over a period of time, it can get to be a lot. And then so the point I was trying to make, though, is that I've got this this aspect of our family dynamic. But then it's also like, OK, we're we're trying to run a business. We've got people working remotely, working from home trying to engage sort of the technology of all of that. Like we're I'm learning about stuff that we've had in our organization, but never utilized because we're all in one office where now all of a sudden we're like, okay, how do we, how do we share information? How do we chat efficiently and all these sorts of things so that people can work remotely, but still be productive. And then the other aspect of it is how do people better themselves? Like you said, like, how do you, how do you, learn something new how do you kind of professional development in a way but i think it's also really important that we we kind of take care of and and curate what's in our social media feeds because during the the regular course of of life you know you're looking at okay the hockey season's on you follow a lot of people on twitter that are involved whether it's in the canucks or or or, you know internationally like the national hockey league level reporters and that's your information and that information is a lot different now they're not giving you actually valid up-to-date information that's really of any consequence yeah some are sharing some great stories but there's a lot of negativity that creeps in on instagram and twitter i think you have to find some people that are a little bit more uplifting and people that Mm -hmm. can like a bit more inspiring and, and engage you in a different way right and so that's been something as well because there's even more time now spent on social media kind of cruising through there and you got to kind of guard yourself against that and make sure it's productive time and it's not just the time suck that then kind of brings you down a bit. Well, you're absolutely right. You can't just wallow in the negativity and those feelings. You got to try to learn about the situation we're in, educate each other, but also do things that are, that are productive, have a positive mindset and try to have fun. It, it's easy to say, right? Like have fun, you know, life could always be worse, but these are the moments you got to realize, like we're lucky to be living in a situation where we can handle something like this relatively well, you know, like it's not 1918 or 1919 with the Spanish influenza. Like, you know, we should be able to get through this a lot better and be able to recover a lot better as well. So we have to be positive. We have to be uplifting about those things. And when we get into the pod here in a second, all we're going to talk about some, okay, Canucks got some work done. 
this week doing a couple of things. So that's something we can talk about in solutions. And listen, none of us know when hockey is going to come back. But what are we willing to accept? How different might it look? And what are you open to as a hockey fan at this point? We haven't seen your Canucks play for over a week. So you want to get going with the pod here? Yeah, let's do it. A week. I can't believe it's it's only been a week. It feels like so much longer ago, but absolutely. Let's get after it. All right, let's go. This is the Canucks Pod with Safiar Shah and Alex All. Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod, Satyar Shah with Alex Ald. We are coming to you from isolation, doing our best to social distance and help each other get through this pandemic. But Aldi, as you know, we got through the beginning. We talked about what we've been up to and the reality of what we're in. But could we see hockey in a different way, perhaps, in a few months, do you think? I I think that no matter what, no matter how it comes back, when it comes back, there will be, at least initially, there'll be a difference in terms of the way the fans engage with it. I think there'll be a, a real appreciation for it again. Like, and I'm not saying people were taking it for granted, but you know, we lost some seasons, we lost some times to lockouts and, and those types of work stoppages, and we've seen a real appreciation, sort of a, a swelling of support after that, and people just being like, yeah, we're back. This, I think, will be even more so because it's not hey we didn't lose time because of some infighting or perceived greed or whatever it may be this is something else it's completely out of everyone's control and and you know you just hope it's this season i I hope they're able to salvage something on this year yeah and that's kind of where i'm at i'm I'm hoping they salvage something and you know about a week ago when this happened the first thing i thought about was what is the worst case scenario and what are we willing to accept on a minimal basis for hockey over the next few months to the calendar year? And that wasn't a cynical way of looking at things. It was more trying to look at things and say, let's not just be naive and think that, okay, in a few weeks we're back and hockey looks exactly the same. Let's see where this might go and what are we willing to accept and how willing are we to see something happen? So the first thing obviously comes down to what can the format be? And, None of us realize, none of us really believe at this point they're going to play 82 games and play a full regular Stanley Cup uh, playoff and, and a cup final. It's going to look different. So that's the first thing. And whatever that looks like is one thing. But here's the other. As much as we think that can happen, it can happen if we are willing to take some drastic steps, as in not having any fans at the rink. And also teams essentially quarantining themselves and families in areas like resorts where they stay exclusive. So they're allowed to play out of a couple of different centers. Maybe you set up four different centers uh, so teams can't don't all conglomerate in one massive center for all 32 teams. And perhaps you play without any, any fans, only cameras, and the fans stay in resorts or secluded from everyday life and essentially hold themselves in there and play hockey in that new way of going about things for perhaps perhaps a full season or longer as long as hockey comes back. Like, are you willing to take a step like that or see something like that happen? I, I could, I could see some, some form of that. Like I, I could, and I think that'll be the, the issue is cause I, I'm, I'm always going to kind of put my player hat on and something like this. Yes. It's like, okay, it's how is this collectively bargained? Mm-hmm. How, what is the, the desire of both sides to do that? And how does that then look financially? 
Um, but I, I get your point, right? It's like you, you travel there once you're at this location, wherever it is in theory. And you say, all right, like you, however many teams are there and you're able to play with minimal risk to, to further infection or anything like that. Like I, I get the idea of that in, in theory. Um, it's, it's time is really a big part of it, right? Like how long can this, can this go? How long does that make sense? Uh, I, I do believe that the the players would be open to something like that because of the fact that otherwise you wouldn't be playing. And it's one thing to get your your last three, but it's really just two paychecks this year because one of the the first paycheck they got paid was already earned. Um, so because you're paid retroactively. So if you think about it, you it's one thing to get those two paychecks this year, but you're not going to get paid next year if there's no no season. So you have to find a way to make it work. Uh, I guess or did the TV TV dollars make enough sense that it makes sense to have a TV only league? Well, in some ways, you could think almost the demand from a TV perspective yeah. could be higher. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's hard to know. Well, it's hard to know, right? And I'm not saying I can say this is the best idea ever, but I'm thinking we're going to be stuck in a position, especially if this thing is something that's just starting right now, that we're staring. And, and you know, this is something that the world health and pe- the people in, in high authority have said, even including president of the United States, as this could be a 12 to 18 month thing. And I don't think there's any world where hockey can't be played on the National Hockey League level for that long or any other sport for that matter to ex- and expect things to work afterwards, right? So I think that's a non-starter. If that's a non-starter, how can you safely play hockey games? To me, that's the, this is the safest way to play games is to essentially eliminate risk, people get holed up, and then it comes down to how willing are players to do so, how long, and all those things. But I think that's the basis point. And as hard as that is for a lot of people to expect uh, to accept at this point, I do think the starting point is going to be something like quarantine games. And the precedent will be set pretty soon in April. The big three, the basketball uh, league, where it's three on three and a lot of former NBA players play in, they're, they're hoping to have a tournament where they're quarantine teams in areas in April. So there is going to be a precedent for it. Now, this is scaled as much larger, larger, a lot bigger, a lot more uh, moving parts to it. But to me, this is kind of what has to kind of happen to some degree for games to get played at. The question is to what degree and how big can it be? Well, you're right. And, and so like initially, like I would have thought, well, why don't they just play games, you know, with no fans? And, and I think that's what a lot of people would initially think. But then you, you're introducing that constant travel, right? Mm-hmm. You're introducing that constant exposure to outside people and outside influences so some level of of quarantined and and whether it's like little mini tournaments or it's some format and and i think you know it's interesting that much like uh the prime minister trudeau has been saying like everything is on the table in terms of measures the country might take in a lot of ways i think the national hockey league i would imagine they are taking this approach and especially internally in terms of discussion in a group and a working group and sort of think tanks everything is on the table because you have to find something that's viable and like you're right if if they're if they're looking at a scenario where it's that long like you said if it's, it's a year or a year and a half until you're back to what we consider the norm how is how is it viable think about everything they've built up to this point you can't just it's not just turnkey again right like you lose a lot of sponsors you lose that momentum you you're coming back to a fan base that is has lost a lot of money. So season tick, all those things, you have to find a way to get it going again. And as far as the player's point of view, 
Like, I really believe that if you're, you're given the option and the option is you can play hockey or not play hockey, regardless of, of what it is exactly that's going on, it's probably going to be play hockey. And especially if there, it's not like it's an unfair working in conditions because of uh, ownership greed. It's because this is a legit situation you're dealing with. The players are going to want to play and, and most likely figure out a way to, to make it work from their point of view in terms of, hey, this is pitched to us. This seems okay. Let's do it. And I mean, anything could be on the table. Like uh, this is a extreme situation. It's unprecedented. None of us have a uh, roadmap to get through it, and nobody has a real plan for this. I mean, as much as leagues had planned for pandemic pandemic situations, until you come across a situation like this, it's hard to have uh, a real plan for it. So I think everybody's trying to swimming, trying to come up with ideas and factors, but in reality we could see something completely drastic. Like, is it even worth uh, doing a different type of league, which is still part of the NHL, but maybe it's three on three and it's smaller groups or whatever it is. Like anything can happen because at the same time, we need to find ways to bring revenue in. And I hate to make the situation about money, but ultimately it comes down to it, especially when you talk about hockey, because hockey is entertainment. And for an entertainment business to be viable, it has to make money. And if you want the league to look like what it looked like before this happened, they need to make money. Otherwise, the league's going to look a lot different, which is going to take away your enjoyment as a fan. So everything we talk about when it comes to the Canucks and when it comes to the National Hockey League, it essentially evolves around money. That's the way it works. I and mean, we sit here and talk about contracts all the time because it affects the cap. And if you want the cap to keep going up, if you want to be able to keep your players, the league has to make money. So, you know, as, as, as heartless as it is to say, the NHL's priority is how do we make money until this is over? Oh, you're absolutely right. And I don't, I don't view it as being, being heartless. I mean, I, I, I get it. it. It's if you're a, a purist, whatever that may mean to you as a fan, like, you you just want to watch good hard hockey and you you don't you don't think about the dollars and cents maybe as much but at the end of the day like in order to have the best players in the world playing in world class venues and all of these types of things you you have to be generating revenue you have to find a way if for anything right someone's favorite tv show someone's favorite you know sports franchise whatever it is it's got to make sense and be viable from a financial point of view so you have to find a way to make it work and and it's you know i don't i'm not gonna say i love this idea you're pitching at me but i love the idea in a way because it's outside the box thinking and it's something that you can see you know the there are maybe some roadblocks to it but there's also some reasons why it can really work and and maybe there's some some tweak to it or maybe there's something we haven't even thought of that that makes a lot of sense because it's all right it's it's similar, but it's uh, it's a driving league, right? So you have it more regional, and maybe everyone's not in one resort area, but there there are cities and communities within you know close enough driving that it's your team, your team on the bus, your team in a closed arena, and that's the situation, right? So it's some form of what you're pitching could ultimately end up being the at least the starting point for getting back on your feet. We're not saying this is going to be the new forever. NHL, no. but it's the starting point to say, hey, it's it's sort of like bridging the gap of, b- between now and and when the NHL's back. It's sort of at what it was, what we know, and who knows what may evolve from that, and what they may learn about the game, learn about the fans, learn about you know what it what maybe is more entertaining or whatever. Like you, you may have some evolution come out of this as well. 
Well, and that's the thing. I think when you put in extreme circumstances, uh, sometimes you actually come up with innovations because you're forced to be creative. It puts everybody's mind together, and especially the bright minds that run the game, and especially are involved in the game, and people outside the box you can, you know, get their questions from. And for me, this is not like a. Uh, I don't think this is a great plan. I don't think this is something they have to follow to a T. To me, it's just the worst case scenario. I think what I try to think about is what's the minimum. What's the thing I'm willing to accept to watch hockey and to me if that's the worst case where it's you know for a extended period of time it's no fans in buildings you don't get to see your team they have to travel it's not comfortable what are you willing to accept as, as a worst case scenario and build from that point on and the other question now becomes you know as these players are sitting idle and none of us know for how long and when you can get back to proper training again as a former professional athlete, and yes, I mean, these guys are still in the primes of their careers and even their age, even guys in their 30s aren't exactly old or they're in their early 30s or mid 30s. But how challenging is it to be a athlete who's at his peak condition, peak everything, and all of a sudden you hit pause like this and you can't do just about anything? Oh, it's it's got to be so hard. It's got to be so frustrating. Um, you know, I, I look at these guys and they're, you know, the hockey players right now, the hockey season, um, the basketball players as well, like they're just like gearing up for the best time of the year, right? Like that's what they've kind of like, all right, after Christmas, after the all-star break, you're like, all right, now it's time to really play for real. And all of a sudden it's like, nope, hit pause. Now you got to wait. And it's so much uncertainty. You have no idea when you're coming back. You have no idea what you're coming back to. Um, and it's and, and the point, the point you made, like the training is really difficult because it's like, do I, what what I is would I be best off to take some time off because maybe like there's there's so many factors here right like you you need to give your body a break and this is the other the other thing I look at when you when you look at more be more of a, a short term thing in terms of like how can they salvage the season in the playoffs the other factor that plays into this and I'll get back to the training in a minute on it is what they're willing to tolerate for next season in terms of interruption then and I just mean it in terms of okay. Are we willing to say we can do this X number of games, but keep the playoff format relatively similar to what we've been doing in terms of four rounds of seven game series? So, and then next year be a little bit shorter because inevitably that'll push it into the summer and maybe closer to training camp. And then they shorten everything next year. So it's almost like a, a two year shortening. Or if they're in a situation where they can say, all right, next year looks like it can be a little bit more normal do we condense this year even more? And does that sort of put a bigger asterisk on this year's playoffs? Like there's so many factors that you look at. And then I'm thinking about from a player's point of view, you view it and you say, Hey, I need time off as well for my body to, to recover and, and be able to be in a situation where I can play for a long time and a number of years and less wear and tear. And every player takes that time off when the season's over. Well, you could be in a situation now where if you're just training really hard and then say it starts up in, in eight weeks or whatever it is and you go hard and then that goes right until, I don't know what the dates would be, but it puts you into August. And then all of a sudden training camp starts at regular time. You almost have no break. So then it's like, that's the other unknown too, is like managing it. What's best for my body at this time? Well, guess what? You don't know because everything is unknown. 
Yeah, everything is unknown and that's kind of the scary part it's like you don't know quite what to do and where to go and there's only so much you can do at home my big thing that i'm kind of really curious about is when your body gets used to something and this isn't to sit here and, and say hey i feel sorry for hockey players or people that are going through worse things that's not the point it's more about trying to understand everything in context and in the context that we're breaking down hockey players on a hockey pod and what they may look like when they come back it's easy to say, hey, the guys that work hard will find a way. But when your body is used to burning so many calories in a day and also ingesting a certain amount of calories a day, like that stop and start, isn't that just that straightforward? No, it's not straightforward. It gets round in a hurry. Yes. And I mean like your belly. No, yes. no I know. And like, <laughs> like that's going mean, to be a bigger issue for some players than others. Uh, coming ab- back. Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's a very, it's unique to each individual, like, like anything to do with metabolism and and work rates, all those things, right? Everybody's body is so unique, but it's, this is the closest thing I can, I can, there's two ways I look at it for me and my own experiences. So I just talked about taking that break at the end of the, at the end of the season, right? So they, I think guys take less of a break now than they did when I was playing. Mm -hmm. There's more science behind the way players train, so even though they aren't full, uh, you know, going full on hardcore, they take less of a break because now it's like, okay, I need to be doing active things that are more regeneration type stuff, right? Like I need to get my body back, but I also need to be moving and I need to regenerate my muscles and make sure my joints are feeling healthy. So I'm doing something. But what ended up happening often for me is like you, you stop playing, you're like, all right, well, we're going to go on a little trip. And then you get home, you're like, all right, now I'm going to take a little bit more time off. And it's, you want it to be two weeks and then it becomes, well, it's three and then whatever, right? Like all of a sudden you're three, four weeks, you haven't done a lot. You've been, you've been sort of active, but not to the point where it's legit in terms of being a professional athlete. You've just gone for the odd little run or done the odd little workout here or there, nothing under structure and, and something that's formal and makes you feel like, Hey, I'm getting better. And what happens is you kind of your your body's used to burning all this energy, and all of a sudden it just almost stays like boiling up inside you, right? And you're 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 fidgety, you're more irritable, you're you're less fun to be around. Like that's your body has your body's great at adapting, but sometimes it takes time, and that adjustment is is a difficult point in any season. And that's like, all right, well. It's time to get back in the gym because I'm kind of being a prick now. So I got to get working out more. And that's sort of that signal. So what I see is that there's that issue. And then I look at it post-career where, and I, I've talked to you about this before, it's like, what am I working for right now? Like I, I don't have an end date in sight. So if you're a player in this situation right now, you, you don't know what your goal is in terms of a start date, when you need to be back. You don't have, you can't have a real structured plan in place that's been developed by a really high end strength and conditioning coach because there isn't a date. And I'm, I'm sure they've been given something, but it it's probably a little bit more vague or the strength and conditioning coaches don't know exactly how to build it because this is all unprecedented. So then I look back to when I finished playing hockey and I'm like, hey, like I don't have that that written out program anymore. I don't have the goal of winning a Stanley Cup anymore. You kind of get lost a little bit in what it is you're trying to accomplish. And that can be a bit of a challenge as well. 
Yeah, and that's going to be the big challenge uh, to see what, how this all goes for a lot of these players coming off break. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look back a little bit at the season that had been before the break and also talk about a couple of moves the Canucks have made uh, this week so when it comes to prospects and kind of how this all uh, is ranging out. This is the Canucks pod, Satyar Shah with Alex Ald on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Pod, Satyar Shah with Alex Ald and Aldi. Um, you know, it, it was an exciting year for the Canucks um, up until the pandemic shut things down because they're starting to make things happen. I mean, the team was uh, actually competing for a playoff spot. It seemed like they might get in. We had the all uh, the unrest towards the end here before the break came in, but they had that big victory. Um, and it seemed like all of a sudden, okay, maybe they can make this run and make the playoffs. And now everything came to a stop. But if we just evaluate what we saw this season up until this point, how would you describe what we have seen? Overall, I would say it was not just a step forward, but in my view, in terms of the way the team was playing and executing um, different players stepping up, it was a massive step forward for this club. Like I now, it, was it ultimately going to be enough to get them in the playoffs? We'll never know because even if they come back and don't make it or do make it, like you never really would know how it would have played out. But you, you look at the emergence, especially of, of again, like a guy like Quinn Hughes, uh, the emergence of Jacob Markstrom really stepping up and, and continuing to improve his game. Uh, Elias Pettersson taking another step, the addition of JT Miller. Like there's, there's a bunch of really good things. Even even a guy who's taken a lot of criticism in his game still isn't where he ultimately would want it to be. But a guy like Jake Furtanen continues to improve and be more productive. Like there's a lot of good things happening around this club in terms of the progress they made. I thought they were more consistent in their play. And now, yeah, they were. They're not a model in consistency, but more consistent in terms of having more better outings and playing the way they wanted to play more often than, than in years past under Travis Green as well. So overall, I would say it was a massive step forward. It was a big step forward. And the question, you know, we'll never know. Would they have made the playoffs the way they were trending? Because you're right. I mean, the reality changes. We don't know what it may look like and how the season gets finished, if it does get finished. But it, it was such a positive year insofar as the young guys plus the big, big addition, which worked out great in JT Miller. And, you know, we'll start with JT Miller because the thing with JT Miller is he was far better than any of us expected. Nobody thought he would get this good, this fast and do what he did. I mean, he played at a elite level for the Canucks. The question I have, Aldi, is, is this going to be one of those seasons where he had a career season? And we'll look back and say, oh, that was a year, the outlier year. He had 72 points in 69 games, 27 goals, and looked like this this elite this, this elite player. Oh, now he's back to scoring, you know, 20 goals and 50 points. That's my big question with JT Miller. Is this the new norm for him for his prime or for the next two or three seasons, depending on what we see? Or was it a peak? I I mean, again, I, I obviously don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But considering that also coincides like that production that uptick in production coincides with him playing with Elias Patterson who's only getting better like when you look at Patterson it's it's all but guaranteed he will improve right and so i mean it's so when you look at that and the fact that they have such chemistry and that Miller is so driven like it's not like there's some players where it's like man like 
I can't believe this guy's getting all this luck, but he's not like he doesn't really work hard. He's not really a guy who drives play. Like it's a different type of story when you look at JT Miller. You see a guy who's really driven in terms of his his work ethic, his leadership. And that's another aspect. I think him coming over, he found another gear, he found another level because he found a voice in terms of there was a place to be heard here. And I hey, I don't know what he was like in the locker room in Tampa, but that team is riddled with stars. It had when he would have joined the Lightning, it would have had an established leadership culture. Those are sometimes hard to break in and really be a voice, especially if you're not playing a, as prominent a role as probably your skill set shows that you should be. And then you come to Vancouver, where it's like, all right, f- first year captain in Bo Horvat. Um, obviously, there, there's still a bit of the void and the the, the vacuum that left when the you know that's the Sedin leaving, the departure of Daniel and Henrik, and just who's emerging as the leadership voice he stepped right into that and and became a really significant part of the leadership group too which also i i think really boosts your play as a player so i i wouldn't be surprised if he remains around a point a game player for the next couple of seasons provided he's remains playing with Elias Pettersson and providing there's health that is a guy who who i think is going to be maintained a level of production that Canucks fans can be excited about the bigger I, this is I just thought of it when you started asking that question the question I have and again hypothetical but it's a little bit fun to think about what if this season is scrapped no more games are played so you don't know if the Canucks make the playoffs or not what happens to the pick you know that is the big question Aldi because none of us really know yet but I this is where I'm leaning. Let's say the season gets scrapped and to, to determine the pick, the Canucks right now are in a playoff spot based on point percentage. So I think what would happen is this pick for the Canucks, if they don't do a complete lottery, would be a playoff pick. So it would go to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The other thing I, can, I think can happen is it'll be up to the Canucks. They can decide, do we hold on to this pick or do we just give it to them this season? And Perhaps that could be something. And the third alternative is, well, it'll go to next year because if they completely do a wide open lottery for the first round draft pick and everybody has a chance to win it, then maybe it doesn't go to Tampa. That's true. I mean, it, it, what I what I see happening is, is that if, if that, let's say everything's gone, right? No playoffs, no more regular season games. What will happen is there'll be a sort of a, a broad stroke decision that will say for these types of scenarios, this is how we're going to proceed. And it'll either be like some sort of option scenario, or this is, it'll be a blanket statement. But the interesting thing will be is if somebody feels like they don't agree with it and then they file a grievance. And I don't mean a player like a PA league grievance type of thing, but like a, a, a team doesn't like the decision. Like this could be incredibly messy in so many ways. And, and, you know, the, the farther you go along with it, the more things open up and who knows what they might do. But I, I agree. It'll probably be something along those lines that you mentioned. And, and by the way, uh, to correct myself, the pick wouldn't go to Tampa. It would go to New Jersey because New Jersey acquired that pick the Canucks gave for JT Miller when they traded Blake Coleman to the Lightning. So that even further complicates things because it's not a situation between the Canucks and Tampa who made the initial trade. It's now a third team that's involved and owns that draft pick. And they can be well within their rights to file any sort of grievance depending on when they want the pick or not, depending on what happens with this season. But I can see a scenario where it comes to 
down to the Canucks where they're like, okay, well, this season, this is what, what it is, especially if you're not making the playoffs. So choose. Do you want to hold on to it or do you, do you want to get rid of it? And if I'm the Canucks, I honestly just give up the pick this year as opposed to next year because especially when you don't know what's going on next season and you don't know what the roster may look like that could be the more dangerous pick right because what if because nobody knows about the circumstances they miss the playoffs and they're a bad team when hockey comes back for a full season and it ends up being a top five pick you don't want to be in a situation san jose's in where they have a potential top five pick going to the ottawa senators yeah it's it's funny because i think back i mean so you you don't want to you don't want to brady kachuk it Yes, like pretty much. If, like it's just it's just those scenarios, right? Where right. just I, I don't know. I, I think if you if you're in the moment, you're comfortable with the situation, and you look at it, and it's like who you can get, who you can't get, whatever. Like you you make that decision based on the most the information you have at the time, right? And so uh, I agree. I mean, it's there's there's so much unknown in any season, especially when you're trying to project out a year or two. But in this scenario right now, you've got all of this massive confusion confusion over uh, this this delayed season and everything here then you've got expansion coming in and like it's there's so many wild cards for me I'd want to try to eliminate some of those as early as possible yeah same here and you know if you get resolution on that pick uh, this year, I think that would be the best case scenario. And who knows? I mean, if hockey comes back and they extend the uh, playoff format, then technically the Canucks would be in the playoffs regardless anyways. And if they're in the playoffs, then maybe this is uh, going to change things no matter what. So uh, all these things uh, are up in the air when it comes to that first round draft pick and how all these things are unfolding. And the other thing for the Canucks when it comes to this season was Quinn Hughes, right? I mean, to me, that's the other big story. I mean, Markstrom's emergence, we'll see with his knee and then obviously what happens in free agency. There's so many unknowns, but the one known is Quinn Hughes, what he meant for the team this season and how good he might get. We all saw what he did. There's no reason to go over his season so far. The question is, what is the ceiling for him? Oof. I mean, he's, I don't know that there is one. His, his ceiling is basically his aerobic capacity and how long he can be on the ice. Like, to me, he's he's so good. Not many players like this come along. Um, so you, you look at then getting into the factors of, of things like health and, you know, making sure that you can stay playing at a high level for a long time. But you look at, yeah, you just think about the impact and you, you start looking back and you look at the last 10, 15 years at elite level defensemen, the impacts they had early on in their careers. I mean, who's who's been able to do this, right? Like it's it's such a high level with very little. It, it's even guys who've been able to be productive offensively. They've been liabilities defensively. And and you haven't really given up much by having him on the ice. And actually, actually you'd argue you'd rather have him on than a lot of the Canucks defensemen in a in a big moment in the game where they need to to get a stop or get a as you know, get the puck out or whatever it is. So he's a guy that uh, I, I think the sky is the limit for him. And, and you can't you can't overstate how important he has been to this season for the Vancouver Canucks. He's He's been, I think the Canucks coaching staff, management, they knew he was going to be good. No one realized that he was going to be this good this early. He's incredibly special. 
yeah, I don't think anybody expected him to be this amazing right away. And that's the thing that's been so surprising by him. But I mean, I think his mindset was always clear. We always knew he was super driven, super talented, and he's going to get to those heights. It's just amazing that he's doing it so quickly. And the reason I think you're right about his ceiling not being non-existent, he's one of those guys like Pedersen that's going to work on his game, that's going to take everything he saw this season and apply it to getting better and apply it to his bank of memory and how he's going to move forward and become uh, the next level player. Because I think he's like Patterson in so far as he wants to be one of the best players to play, to have played the game, not just one of the best players in the game. And that is a pretty big distinction. Well, you love when you're sort of handing the keys to your franchise over to young guys who are that driven and that skilled. Yeah, they've got a lot to learn. They've got a lot to learn in terms of the game. They've got a lot to learn in terms of life, obviously, at that age. But they are so good, and they work hard. And they are and they also have, you know, that, that work ethic combined with that natural ability and just the, the I mean, the skill set on these guys, it's, it's something that you can be really excited about as a fan or a coach, manager, an owner of a team. Like, when you've got players like that in your stable, it's pretty special. It is. And it's going to be exciting to see what these guys do down the road. And, you know, uh, Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, you got Brock Besser, JT Miller, um, you know, Bull Horvat, plus the rest of the young guys coming up as well over the next few years. It'll be exciting to see. And, and Pedersen's golf game, though. like, Dude, I that's, mean, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, we all know it was a bit of a fun little thing with the same you know, clip of the golf ball going through the water, but that was creative. That's one of the better videos we've seen so far. Well, it's funny. You ask about like, what, are, you know, how are guys training? I'm like, they're not, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're working on their uh, post-production skills in, uh, you know, in video editing software. They're not, they're not working out right now. No, it's, it's, Hey, even I'm putting out uh, cooking videos on Instagram. Like what the hell's going on in the world? Who knows? Like it's, I don't know. It, it, you got to fill the time with something. So that was pretty fun. And you know that Canucks fans got a, got a kick out of that. And I, I thought it was pretty funny when I saw that. No, that was well done. And it shows how creative some of these guys are. And when they put their minds to other things, they can also be entertaining. So that's pretty good to see. Uh, there was some uh, news with the Canucks this week. They signed a couple of prospects. One one of their own, third-round pick back in 2016, Will Lockwood. Uh, and the other one is uh, Mark Michaelis, who is a German-born center who played in um, the NCAA this past year. And we'll start who was not drafted by the Canucks, by the way. He's 24 years old, has played for the World Championship team for Germany. And there are a couple of little things we can get to with him coming up. But when it comes to Will Lockwood, he's the guy that Canucks fans have been waiting to be signed. Not a high-ceiling prospect by any means, but when you look at that 2016 draft, all the, the only two players with chances to play in the National Hockey League from that draft for the Canucks, Olio Levy and Will Lockwood, and both have had their issues when it comes to injuries. Uh, but, you know... You, at this point, you'll take any prospects when it comes to adding to your stable. Well, and, and like you said, like that that draft, if the Canucks wouldn't have signed Will Lockwood, um, that draft could have been a complete wash, right? And and because the reality is, we, we don't know whether Ole Levy will will play in the National Hockey League or whether, and even if he does, if he'll be a, a contributor for the Canucks long term because of all his injury issues. So. Lockwood's a guy. It's funny you bring him up. I, I mean, I almost for, I, I saw he signed. I almost forgot about him. Right? Like it's, yeah. it's been so long since he was drafted, and, and you have that situation with, with some of these NCAA guys where you keep their rights, and and it just, 
uh, depending on on all the different scenarios when they're drafted, when they're born, all these things. And and he's a guy who it's just I, I'm not saying they signed him just so that that draft wasn't a complete bust, but it's one of these guys where you say, all right, let's let's bring him in. He's he's progressed. He's a player who's who's sort of in a spot where he could help us long term. So why not bring him in and bring him in the fold? And he's another another prospect another guy we can bring into our development pipeline and see if he can continue to progress at the professional level yeah so we'll we'll see where what happens with him he did play with quinn hughes a couple years ago so he has familiarity with him and he had a couple of injuries if he didn't have those then you know he he, he got hurt at the world juniors right Yeah, two years ago went crashing into the boards it was at the outdoor game and uh, he hurt his shoulder and uh, he was he wasn't the same after that for for a long period of time. And then he kind of recovered. But yeah, I mean, he had a pretty significant injury. He's had a couple. He's gone through some things. But he has talent. He does play a tenacious style of hockey when he's healthy. And I do think there are three ranges of outcomes when it comes to him. When it comes to the type of player he might be. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a chance he never plays in the National Hockey League, like a former Canucks prospect that they signed as an undrafted free agent, Billy Sweat, who had some pedigree but never really amounted to much of anything in the National Hockey League level after he decided not to sign with his team when he was drafted. Uh, didn't work out in Vancouver. He, that, that scenario can happen. They have similar trajectories and, and, and style of play. But he could end up being like Tyler Mott, who I talked to Chris Peters, who covers prospects uh, in the NCAA and across the world. And he said, yeah, the Tyler Mott comparison kind of holds water. Both guys who went through the college system, uh, high level players at college, but also had to change their games and were willing to adapt. And that's more as a, you know, fourth line guy. And I think the ceiling, and that's not to say, you know, he may not be better and hopefully he is, is a Yannick Hansen type of player who is also a good player if you get something like that out of it. So I think those are the three ranges of outcomes for uh, Will Lockwood. Well, yeah, and, and so ultimately it, it comes down to a couple of things, right? It, it, it'll come down a little bit to Lock and him being able to like get an opportunity and make the most of it. But it, ultimately it comes down to how much the player is willing to put in the work. And you look at the way Yannick Hansen continued to improve after being you know, drafted and moving up to the ranks and just it got better and better and better and better. And Tyler Mott's a guy who is a tireless worker and and really he realized not only did he have to change his game but he needed to continue to work on his skating and he was he's been really diligent with that so it's like all right will lockwood are you willing to work on the most important aspects of being an nhl player are you willing to skate because especially if you're going to be one of those guys now a little bit further down in the lineup i mean all if you're going to be a high-end elite player you got to be able to skate but some of those guys have such good hands that they can kind of get themselves out of trouble but if you're going to be a third or fourth line guy who's going to be an energy player penalty killer get in on the four check you got to be able to scoot and if you can't skate then what are you doing out there right so are you willing to continue to work on your skating and get better because no matter how good you are you're probably not good enough to do it at the nhl level so you got to keep working on that and that's a credit to both guys like hansen and tyler mott that they've been they've been willing to work and the interesting thing about tyler mott although he's you know he plays down in the canucks lineup the coaching staff management they value his best skill and that's his skating because it's not something that the Canucks really have a ton of. They don't have a ton of depth in terms of this natural speed, natural skaters, guys who can really move. And so Tyler Mott gets to play, and he gets to play more than maybe he would if if the rest of the roster could skate like he can because of what he can do and be disruptive on the forecheck and things like that. So guy like Lockwood or any other young prospect coming in, you even see how Adam Gaudet has improved his skating to be a more effective player in the NHL? Are you willing to put the work in? And if you are, you might get rewarded or at the very least you'll be ready when you get the opportunity. 
Yeah, and I think he's one of those guys that has a work ethic, and we'll see how it goes. If his body can hold up, he he is a guy that has some talent, has some skill. He won't be a top five or six prospect for the Canucks, but he slots in and has a chance to be an NHL player. Uh, so the best of luck to Will Lockwood, and we'll see uh, if he does make it to the National Hockey League over the next few years. The other guy that Canucks signed, undrafted free agent, Mark Michaelis, who was born in Germany and, and played Germany growing up and then came playing the USHL for a few years and then went to Minnesota State University and played four full years there and he put up some really good numbers and I've talked to some guys about him and yeah they cite the fact that he's 24 years old even for college standards he's a bit older and guys like that do have a bit more success but he has an all-around game and they noted that when he played at the world championship for Germany he actually acquitted himself well and looked um, like he was one of the best German-born players at that tournament so that bows well for the Canucks Aldi well well, that's I mean that sort of thing is interesting like the the age piece is really it's fascinating to me like yes you're 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 a man playing against some some boys right in NCAA hockey when you're 23 24 years old and it, it obviously you'd have some advantage but at the same time you you still got to be a good enough player to put up good numbers you still got to be a good enough player to to execute but what often ends up happening is and the reason some of those players will have success and then they're able to almost almost be plug and play whether it's the nhl or like be pretty effective american hockey league players and have a short transition to the to the top level of the pro game is that they're they're more mature in their game they they think the game a little bit differently they think it as as more about the way it needs to be played in the pro game and again like this is this isn't a player i've watched extensively or know a lot about but it's just it's just one of those things where he has a different perspective on life, a different perspective on the game. And then the, the factor that the, the German national team factor, like that's a, that's a program that's had a lot of success the last couple of years, well coached, the good structure, good team game. And that also like, I think back to, you know, in the, the mid two thousands, like people always thought that way about Finnish players, like your okay, sound defensive play. Like I, you're starting, I'm starting to see that from some of the, the, the German teams as well. And you're not, they're not having that same level of success in the national hockey league yet, but you're seeing some good guys with good structure. They're good checkers. They're able to play within team format, team structure, and that will can give them success when they, when they move into the level of the pro game where you have to really be able to execute on a system and a game plan. Yeah, that, that's the thing about how they think the game and how well they play in structure. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he projects. And he's going to be a guy that should slot right into Utica when he does come over over the next, uh, you know, I mean, we'll find out when hockey comes back. That's going to be the big question. Absolutely. Yeah. And listen, I mean, uh, none of us know what the upside is there for him. But it's interesting to hear uh, Jim Benning talk about him potentially being a penalty killer right away and being a guy who can help him in the bottom six, has some some overall ability. And uh, it goes to the point you mentioned of some of those players and how he plays that overall game, especially a lot of those German-born players in the systems they deploy. There's a chance that, you know, uh, he might be one of those guys that carves out a specific role for himself. The other, the other interesting thing about a guy like that going to Utica is, is like, He's he's older. He'll be older than all the other rookies, right? And all the other young, the, the first second year players in Utica, and yeah, he'll have to adapt to being a professional and not living in in a dorm or in residence or whatever. Like, but at the same time, he'd be more mature. And so he, there's a there's a maturity level and an age factor to it. And the American Hockey League is a young age, and you have to have a certain number of veterans and older guys. But there's a limit on how many veterans you can dress each night. And I just, that's an interesting dynamic in terms of a guy like that stepping into an AHL dressing room where he's, 
He's inexperienced at that level and would be considered a rookie, but still is a lot older and, and just a little bit more mature. That That's kind of an interesting way to look at it, too, where maybe it's it's a way of getting some 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 presence, a little bit of leadership or, or just that age and experience in in life or just, you know, it's just a little bit different take on a rookie. It wouldn't be fit that same bill that, a, a you know, a 20 year old out of the Western Hockey League would would fit. No, and that's going to be the thing with him. So we'll, we'll see where Mark Michaelis finds himself uh, in the future and what else the Canucks do. And it's, it's important the Canucks keep adding to the prospect group, especially and you know, knowing, not knowing the realities of what the captain, what that might look like. So having more young players on cheap, controllable contracts become even more and more valuable. I mean, that's the reality of what we've seen. But uh, it does become more of a necessity that you start finding young players that have cheap contracts because... You know, your top guys are going to get, get paid, but how do you fill out the rest of your roster? Well, that's right. And so you also face the reality of um, you don't know where the cap's going and you don't know you don't know what the situation is going to be. And so you you need some people who can who can play or, or you need more people who you think maybe can play on cheaper deals. You're absolutely right, Sat. Like you have to find different pieces of the puzzle. And it's when you mention Lockwood and, and you say, hey, he's like, he's not going to be a top five prospect for the Canucks. But your your team, as much as in theory, you'd look at it and be like, yeah, I'd love, I wish every player on our roster was a blue chip prospect. Well, that's impossible. But is that also the best roster construction? That, right. that probably doesn't work. Even if you have unlimited salary cap, does that really work? And it probably not. You need players who can play different roles and fit in different spots. And that's why as much as guys like like a Lockwood or, or way back when, like Danik Hansen or, or Burroughs, all these types of players, they're not as exciting to the fan base when they're drafted or signed or whatever it is. But they can end up playing important roles in a really good playoff team or a championship run because you need that depth. You need those guys who round out your roster. You definitely do, and uh, it becomes even more and more important. Aldi, it's been fun catching up, seeing what life is like for you at home, talking some hockey again, and uh, let's do this again next week, and we'll see what else we can talk about. Yeah, well, let's see what, uh, I don't know. We're, I, I, will, I think we'll be hard-pressed to come up with something, but we'll have to, I'm going to be writing all week long, just trying to come up with some great right. ideas <laughs> and funny jokes, and I don't know. It's, material. Uh, stay we'll, safe out there, everybody, and wash your hands. Yes, wash your hands, stay safe, take care of yourselves. And um, if you have questions, send in. Uh, ask Alex anything questions, send us both questions, and we'll try to tackle those on the Canucks pod. He is Alex Alt. I'm Satyar Shaw. Thanks for listening on Sportsnet 650 to the Canucks pod. Wow. You captured a gang of ruthless horse thieves. Dad made like the Lone Ranger and decked some guy in a roaring turret. Nicole was left behind for the buzzards. Well, it wasn't exactly like that, son. I know, but still, it's more exciting than what I did. Huh? Then it's kind of cool, and I ended up making them chicken soup all weekend.